VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And we do thank you for joining us on Crosstalk today here on VCY America. Ladies and gentlemen, according to Worldometers, there have been more than 1.1 million deaths in the United States due to COVID. The real question many are asking is how many people have died from COVID versus how many people have died from the hospital protocols instituted around the nation in the treating of COVID. And while people are hospitalized, what role does a health care power of attorney have? What about hospitals who've denied treatment, such as with ivermectin? Can a hospital be ordered to allow a doctor in to administer ivermectin at the behest of the family or, or the medical power of attorney? Well, on January 17th, 2023, the guest we have with us today will be arguing before the Wisconsin Supreme Court in a case Alan Gall versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated. Joining us today, we welcome Karen Mueller, founder and general counsel for the Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. Karen, thank you for joining us here today. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I very much appreciate it. Great. And I just want to mention before we get into our topic for today, uh, while we're speaking on today's Crosstalk program, uh, the White House is in full celebration mode where President Biden is going to be signing uh, what they call the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, matter of fact, they're bringing in guests and performances. Some of the networks are cutting away to join them for what they call marriage equality. And uh, friends, uh, this is uh, despicable uh, that this uh, celebration is going on really in defiance of God and his word. And uh, President Biden had mentioned that this will give peace of mind to millions of LGBTQI plus and uh, also interracial couples who are now guaranteed the rights and protections to which they and their children are entitled. Well, this is going to go much further because the president is pledging to press on toward the so-called Equality Act and other measures as well. And uh, Karen, just before we get into the merits of the case we're talking about here today, uh, certainly this push for so-called same-sex marriage or marriage between individuals uh, even can head toward uh, uh, marriages between adults and children. Uh, if some state will sanction this uh, down the road, it's pretty disturbing to see the direction our nation is going. Uh, it certainly seems to uh, be going in the wrong direction, in my opinion, on multiple fronts, um, not only on the issues that you're talking about today, uh, but the issues of life. As everybody knows, Roe v. Wade uh, happened earlier this year, the over, uh, overturning of that, which was uh, should be a profound celebration because of that. And yet now we have fights in each state. Um, where in, like my state, Wisconsin, um, we have a 170-year-old law that gives the unborn uh, rights that I believe are akin to constitutional and civil rights because the statute says that an unborn baby is a human being from conception. And uh, so we're going to have that battle in Wisconsin and I'm sure many other battles Uh, But it shouldn't be any great surprise uh, with the topic I'm here to talk about when we've spent 50 years almost uh, providing no uh, protection for the unborn and uh, the wanton killing of over well over 60 million babies. Hmm. And uh, so now what we're looking at is the evident killing of... uh, Adults in hospitals. And Karen, you are involved in a you are involved in a case called Alan Gall versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated. We're going to talk about that case and what's involved, but let's define first of all who is Alan Gall. Alan Gall is my client, and Alan Gall is the nephew of a gentleman by the name of John Zingzheim, and uh, he became the focus of this case. A year ago, last October, October of 21, um, he was admitted to Aurora Summit Hospital in Waukesha County, um, and uh, he was diagnosed with COVID, and he wanted to have ivermectin, and his uncle 
um, or his nephew began, Alan Gall began requesting that ivermectin from the hospital, and the hospital refused to give him that um, uh, medication. And uh, so the family had been calling a number of attorneys. They had called me. Um, I'd never done a case like that. They had also reached out to an attorney by the name of Ralph Larigo in New York, uh, who had already done a number of those cases. And so I became local counsel in that case. And uh, it came before uh, the Waukesha Circuit Court judge. Uh, this would be um, uh, Judge Carter. And uh, in a two-day uh, conference hearing with lawyers, and uh, what uh, the judge decided was that he had a right to get the ivermectin as long as it was an outside doctor that the family found that could be credentialed, that could come into the hospital and administer the ivermectin. Okay, I'm going to pause you right there, uh, Karen, because what, so just to, to recap here, he's placed in the hospital, diagnosed with COVID, wants to have ivermectin, but the hospital says, no, we're not going to allow you to have this. Was there reasoning given as to why the hospital would not allow it? Yes, from the beginning, their argument has been that in a case where uh, what they describe as themselves as the medical provider, and uh, they say that when the medical provider says that a certain medical treatment falls beneath the standard of care for patient safety, then the courts have no authority to intervene in that situation. We obviously argued very vigorously that that was not true mm-hmm. and uh, that courts do have to, the right to intervene. Um, and uh, so we have a number of arguments. Um, sure. That we have, okay. Uh, so so the, the hospital said, forth. yeah, the hospital said no to uh, to the ivermectin. And, and uh, so the family, as a result, and the healthcare power of attorney sought out counsel to, 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 to get legal authority for them to go ahead and see that he received uh, the ivermectin. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so um, when, when uh, th- this went before the circuit judge, and that br- brings us up there, and the circuit judge, tell us how he ruled on that. Uh, he granted uh, the request for the ivermectin as long as the family uh, could find a doctor that could come in from outside the hospital and that the hospital uh, believed that they could credential. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, and uh, then we would also grant it basically immunity and hold the hospital harmless. And uh, so the family was willing to agree to all those terms. And uh, before uh, the order could be um, fulfilled, the appellate court, the District Two appellate court, uh, intervened. Okay. Now, why, why, why did they? Did the hospital say, "Wait, no, we don't agree to this"? And are they yes. the ones? Okay. So the the hospital said, "No, we don't want this," and then they took it up to a higher level of court. Actually, I have to backtrack and say they had appealed this before we had. Um, completely worked uh, the agreement out. And uh, so they did go ahead and agree to it. And uh, then the appellate court stepped in on their prior motion and accepted the case. And then in addition to accepting the case, they stayed the order um, on the granting of the ivermectin. And so uh, Mr. Zingzheim was not given the medication that he had asked for, despite the circuit court judges ruling that he could have that. Now, was there an attempt to do an end around this this uh, second court of appeals? Or was it that of uh, going directly to the Wisconsin Supreme Court? Yes, um, I appealed it to the Supreme Court on a bypass um, request. And in a four to three decision, this was the third week of October a year ago in 21, um, the Supreme Court in a four to three decision declined to hear the case. Uh, there was a very powerful dissent in that case. Um, three of the judges uh, were, I think, uh, quite upset with the ruling because we were dealing with a life issue here. Uh, but that, of course, wasn't over uh, enough to over. Uh, turn the results. 
And uh, so then the case ended up back down in the appellate court. And how was the condition of Mr. Uh, Zingsheim during this time? Uh, very, very bad. Uh, we continued to uh, believe he was going to succumb to the illness. Uh, the family was told that the hospital pretty much had recommended nothing but uh, palliative care, um, that there was nothing left to do. By this time, he had been on the ventilator um, for, I believe, several weeks and uh, was continuing to deteriorate. And uh, so the hospital was pretty much recommending um, that there was nothing more that could be done for him. Did they follow other protocols through this process at the same time from the CDC? Um, They they started him. um, The COVID-19 protocols uh, that I've come to know about today involve not only the withholding of ivermectin, but the giving of other drugs that uh, can be very dangerous for people. And one of those was remdesivir, which they had started on him. And uh, his uh, nephew, being power of attorney for health care, um, objected when he found out about it. And uh, we uh, were able to uh, get him off of uh, that drug. Did the hospital... It's a drug that has over a 50% chance of uh, causing serious injury to kidneys and liver. Did the hospital did the hospital consult with Alan Gall, the the medical power of attorney, before they administered the remdesivir? No. Who who did they get their authority from to do that? Did 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 um, Mr. Zingsheim give give his approval for it? No. Okay, so this so nobody gave approval for it. The hospital did this, and but yet when the medical power of attorney found out about it, he said, "No, stop this treatment." Right. And and then once um, uh, Mr. Gall had told them that they had to stop it, they had no choice under the law but to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, although there are other cases around the country where despite the family uh, saying, no, we don't want a certain drug, they have been continued to treat with it. But in this case, they did stop. Okay, so was this before or after the uh, District 2 Appeals Court got involved? Uh, This was before the district. Well, I should say they had originally taken taken it, but on the bypass appeal, that was um, stopped. And uh, so this uh, activity was going on pretty much during uh, the time when we were trying to get it into the Supreme Court. And uh, that issue had been resolved regarding the remdesivir by the time it got back into uh, the appellate court district, too. And uh, that occurred over last winter. And uh, then in May, they uh, came out with their uh, ruling. And the appellate court uh, ruled against Mr. Gall and uh, basically said that the trial court had erred in granting the uh, order to give him ivermectin. We're going to pick up with this uh, after the break. Uh, Folks, it's rather appalling as to know what's uh, taking place here in this situation and the case is going before the wisconsin supreme court next month january 17th of 2023 more on the story after the break you're listening to crosstalk back to genesis with dr john morris president of the institute for creation research dr morris was the extinction of dinosaurs caused by an asteroid hitting the earth Chris, this is a favorite evolutionary claim that some 65 million years ago an asteroid smashed into the Earth and sent the dinosaurs into extinction. But did you know that a lot of evolutionists deny this? Some are now saying that the dinosaurs were already going into extinction before the asteroid hit. You see, it's really difficult to reconstruct unobserved history. But the Bible gives us the key. The Bible tells us that God created all the animals, including the dinosaurs, during creation week. Most of them were wiped out in the great flood of Noah's day, and the fossils are primarily those animals that died in the flood. Two of each kind survived on board Noah's ark, but many of them, of course, have gone extinct since then. You see, Chris, everything fits into the Back to Genesis view of history. Thanks for joining us for Back to Genesis.
Topic today, failure to treat. Ellen Gall versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated. It's a case before the, the Wisconsin Supreme Court that is taking place on January 17th, 2023. Karen Mueller, our guest today, is founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty and uh, is representing Alan Gall in this case. And uh, Karen, so as, you're, as you mentioned here, so this uh, case went to the uh, to the District 2 Appeals Court uh, here in the state of Wisconsin, and they said, Circuit Court, they slapped them on the wrist. You you made a wrong decision with this. They said, you didn't, what, they didn't have the authority to make the decision that they did? Yes, that is what the hospital had argued, and the um, District Court Appeals uh, Court agreed with that, uh, that he did not have the authority and that he erred in um, uh, granting um, Mr. Zingzheim, the right to receive ivermectin as a treatment. And and when was their decision released? That was in May of, of this past year. Okay, so May of 2022. And yep. how how is uh, uh, the uh, condition of John Zingzheim during this time? He slowly started getting better. It took months. Um, he was eventually transferred um, to a uh, facility where, you know, there was a lot of uh, rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now home. Um, he's still very weak. He has a long way to go, uh, but he did survive. And that was a miracle in and of itself with the way that he was um, uh, treated and not treated. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the appeals court, the District 2 appeals court made their decision May of 2022, and then you took their decision to make the appeal before Wisconsin Supreme Court? Yes, I did. I petitioned for um, a review of their decision, and I did that within the correct time frame and uh, was very happy to hear in the middle of September that uh, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin had granted our petition for review and uh, wanted to hear the case. And so we have been briefing it, and uh, we have uh, uh, several amicus briefs that are coming in Mm -hmm. on this uh, issue in this case. And uh, again, we are going to have oral arguments on January 17th. And what what are the specific issues that will be decided uh, in this Supreme Court decision? What what is it that they are going to be determining? Whether somebody can have ivermectin, or does it go and cover other issues other than this? Well, it does cover um, broader issues than that, and of course, it covers every person in this state and beyond. Um, again, the the hospital argued that. A medical provider, um, if a medical provider says that a certain treatment falls beneath their standard of care for patient safety, then the courts have no inner right to intervene. And our argument was that that was not true, that courts did have the authority, and we cited three different grounds. Uh, one was statutory, and one was contractual, an implied contract argument. And then the third was the inherent power of the court where there's a fundamental right that's implicated. So those are the three areas. So when somebody is given medical power of attorney, what, what, what authority do they have? I mean, it seems like everything was stripped just about every, not everything, but many things were stripped from, from Alan Gall in, in caring for the one that he's entrusted to care for. Well, and in Wisconsin, I mean, that is one of our arguments. That's our statutory argument is is that the health care power of attorney in Wisconsin states clearly that you have the right to refuse uh, any treatment that you don't want. And the document also uh, says that you have the right to receive necessary medical treatment. As and, uh, and so, who, so the big question that's is who one de- of our arguments. Yeah, and, and so the big question is who determines what is that necessary medical treatment. Right. Hmm. And so that comes down to the efficacy and the safety of the drug in question. Right. In this particular case, 
And um, we had Dr. Pierre Corey standing by in the circuit um, case, I, in I, the original case. Ivermectin is not, not the new kid on the block, is it? It is not. It is a, a drug that has been around for 40 years. It's won a Nobel Prize. It's been disparaged in the, um, throughout the country, in the media, um, and it's been wrongfully disparaged. In fact, I would say that the whole point of suppressing the use of ivermectin is traced directly uh, to the need for the need to make sure that there is no alternative treatment that comes out uh, that would compete with the use of uh, the so-called vaccine jabs. Because if there was a reliable, safe, and effective alternative treatment, which is what ivermectin is, then the emergency use authorization for the jabs goes away and uh, there would be no more immunity. And so this is a very important issue, and I believe it's at the core of why this ivermectin has been suppressed. It is a life-saving drug. Um, I'll just say I took it myself, and I believe it saved my life Mm -hmm. and the life of many other people. Mm -hmm. This is not horse pace that it has been characterized as. Yeah. And it has been besmirched by many, many medical associations, um, national level. And the media, too. And the media. Yes, it has. Um, One of the uh, organizations that has filed an amicus brief is the American Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And while I can't get into the arguments, I will just say that... um, uh, I believe that they are on the wrong side of history on this issue. And by the define who is on the wrong side of history? I would say the American Medical Association. Mm-hmm. I see also that the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons filing a amicus brief as well. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, that is an organization um, that uh, is um, going to be filing and. Uh, recommending the use of ivermectin and uh, explaining the standards of care as they should be. There's other arguments in this case about who can even make the standard of care. These COVID-19 protocols are coming out of the federal government, and uh, they are coming in through Medicare Medicaid, which is CMS. So these are not doctor decisions that are made at the bedside of patients. These are decisions that are being made in the boardrooms of hospital systems throughout the nation. Uh, But they're being made virtually in every hospital in Wisconsin. Uh, But I've received calls from across the nation of families in the same plight. And the COVID protocols that are being used are virtually identical. It doesn't matter what state, what hospital. It is the same protocols, and they are coming out of the federal government, and they are killing United States citizens. And, and Karen, and that's something I want to point out here, because you are representing Alan Gall in this case, who is the medical power of attorney for John uh, Zingsheim. And, mm-hmm. But even as, as you began working with them and, and so forth, they, they are not lone wolves in this. I mean, you are, there is actually a number of clients that, that now have come to you as a result of this case. I mean, you've become made aware of many of these situations. So, I mean, what happens in this case and before the, the, the Wisconsin Supreme Court really has huge ramifications, doesn't it? Uh, it certainly does. Um, it's not binding precedence on any other state, um, but it would certainly be looked to uh, for the issues and and the way that the court makes the decision, whichever way it goes. Um, I would ask your audience to pray very much for this case. It is very important. Um, I started getting phone calls after some notoriety um, with uh, the John Zingzheim case when this was going on a year ago, and I started getting call- calls from all over Wisconsin And then I started getting calls from Florida, from Texas, from California, Tennessee, and the stories were all the same. 
And the families in all of these cases were very distraught, and their loved ones, they believed, were being treated extremely poorly. And in certain cases, they were just plain being euthanized. Hmm. Hmm. And so we are also dealing with another protocol that seems to go along the lines of euthanasia. Um, There's a famous case you may have heard of here in Wisconsin, which is um, the Amazing Grace story. Yes. And her dad, Scott Shera, you probably had have had him on. Scott's been on Crosstalk, um, yes. Yeah, I spoke at his um, rally for his daughter, and she was a 19-year-old uh, woman with Down syndrome, and the family maintains um, that she was basically killed and that a DNR order was put in place that... Uh, had no business being in place. It was against what the family wanted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, I've received calls from other parts of the country very similar to Grace's, just as I've received these phone calls that are um, COVID-19 protocols being followed. Uh, a person comes into the hospital, they get the um, uh, testing. It doesn't matter if they have symptoms, they're going to test positive for covid they immediately immediately start them on remdesivir. They immediately start them on baricitinib if they can. Um, and those two drugs together are a joint EUA, uh, emergency use authorization. And so by giving both of those, they get the hospital gets immunity because it's a joint EUA. But in addition, the remdesivir, uh, by giving that, they, the hospital gets a 20% bonus on the overall patient bill. So if it's $100,000, the hospital gets a $20,000 bump By on, who? That, on top of that 100000 From who? Uh, from CMS, uh, from Medicare, Medicaid. My. And that's for each um, person who receives is, that, that treatment from that hospital? Yes. yes. They're, they're incentivizing death, in my opinion because they withhold a viable treatment that will work. It's been proven to work throughout the world, ivermectin, and then they, they are put on remdesivir and baricitinib. And if they didn't need a ventilator before, after four or five days, they need a ventilator. I've heard this story over and over again. And once they're put on the ventilator, they might go four or five days, and then the hospital staff will come in and tell the family that they should think about comfort care. And that's probably the kindest delivery, because I've heard of horror stories. In one particular egregious case, um, a doctor had come in and told the family, if you want to see your mother alive again, you'll sign the comfort care documents. What? I have heard horror stories. My. This is from families. If you want to see them again. Represent. Wow. This we're, is going on across this country, and it has been suppressed. Friends, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll uh, share a few more minutes. We'll also be opening phone lines here in a short while as well, so stay with us. We're talking with Karen Mueller, founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. We'll be giving you out uh, their website and uh, other information here in just a moment. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. There is a significant uptick in the intensity of the issues bombarding us. It's not a single battle being waged, but an all-out war on numerous fronts. The attack on biblical values, the demonizing of Christianity, escalating lawlessness, the emerging secular agenda, and the growing control of the populace are all unfolding. These assaults share the common thread of globalism. Globalism by the powerful elite in order to have supremacy over the people, their land, government, commerce, energy, and even religion. In the book, Globalism, The Great World Consumption, author Richard Smith tackles these matters head on by not only looking at the perilous times in which we live, but to see how this lust for control is propelling us toward a one world political system and both a one world economic and religious system. The book Globalism is available from VCY for a donation of $16 or more when you call 1-800-729-9829. 
You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. We're talking today with Karen Mueller. She is founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. And uh, she is going to be arguing a case before the Wisconsin Supreme Court coming up on January 17th, 2023, a case, Alan Gall versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated. And uh, just to confirm again, Karen, it was Aurora Healthcare. That was the facility in which uh, Mr. John Zingsheim was was uh, in, and uh, they were the ones that either de- conducted the treatment or denied certain treatments for him. Is that correct? Um, that is correct. It was um, Aurora Summit in um, Waukesha County. Um, it is a healthcare system. Um, and by the way, I believe that it has just been um, uh, uh, that it has just um, been what would be the word? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, it has joined with other health another healthcare system, okay. and I don't have the name in front of me right now. I apologize. That's okay. Um, is, a merger. A merger. Okay. And is. Where where's the accountability in all of this? I mean, uh, here he is the one, uh, Mr. Zingsheim, who has been denied. You know the, the the treatment, the medical power of attorney, basically has been denied. You know his ability to care as he saw fit. Did, where does accountability lie with this? I mean, is who can be held responsible? Um, there are many people um, that are within our uh, federal government that need to be held accountable. There are also people at the state level that need to be held accountable, and to date that hasn't happened. Um, I ran for attorney general, and I I didn't win, Um, um, and I promised that if I did win, I would open an investigation into what was going on in Wisconsin hospitals. And I had also promised that I wanted to work with other attorney generals around the country. Um, And, of course, that hasn't happened, uh, but I am now... Uh, looking for attorneys around the country uh, to work with me in uh, private civil litigation, uh, strategic litigation, because this has to stop. If somebody isn't held accountable um, and uh, made to uh, uh, pay a price for this, uh, I don't see where it's going to stop. There's no incentive for this to stop. The federal government is incentivizing death. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because it happened before. Um, I know people don't like to hear about Nazi Germany, but we're just about there. When we have killing fields and they're in our hospitals, we've got a serious problem. Hmm. And when we've got uh, law enforcement that has stood down, um, we have attorney generals, that are not engaged. We have a legislature in Wisconsin that doesn't seem to be uh, interested in doing anything about this when they have the power. So does the governor. They have the power to stop this. There are other states that are trying to uh, now make sure that at least ivermectin can be given. And um, so that's a start in the right direction. Uh, In some cases, it's over-the-counter. But there are countries around the world where people can can get it just um, over-the-counter, and uh, they've had extremely low rates of COVID in their countries because of it. Uh, Again, it has been so maligned, it's been called horse paste, um, and uh, there's many different drugs uh, that have... uh, have, uh, been approved for veterinary use and are also used in different doses for human beings. Um, There is nothing new. Ivermectin is fully approved uh, by the FDA. It is not an unsafe drug, uh, but in this context, it would be an off-label use of a drug. And an off-label use of any drug happens thousands and thousands and thousands of times every day. Yes. it's a common practice to use off-label drugs. In fact, in Wisconsin, um, we tried to modify the, our current uh, right-to-try statute, and uh, that was um, uh, Representative Timothy Rantham had uh, put that lot legislation forward. I had worked with a pharmacist 
um, to modify the language, and he was willing to put forth the bill. And uh, I think there was only one other representative that took that case uh, or um, brought that legislation forward Mm. in, you know, signing on to it. Um, What a shame. And um, frankly, shame on them. Karen Mueller, our guest here today on Crosstalk. Our telephone number is 800-733-9829. That's 800-733-9829. Maybe you've got a question. Maybe something Karen has said today has compelled, you know, a question in your mind. Uh, Pick up your phone. Give us a call, 800-733-9829. Karen, uh, give us your website address. I know you've got more information there. You've got links to different briefs and so forth. But uh, tell us... uh, uh, your website address, if you would. AmosCenter.org. <clears throat> A-M-O-S Center.org. Okay, AmosCenter.org. And uh, mm-hmm. you can uh, contact uh, uh, their organization uh, accordingly. And um, I'm actually finding it Amos Center for Justice and AmosCenter.org. Is that correct? Um, either one of those. Okay. Very good. Um, if we're doing an intake, then I would use amoscenter.org. Okay. Uh, but for general information and for donations, I would use the amoscenterforjustice.org. Very good. Uh, amoscenterforjustice.org and amoscenter.org. Our lines are packed, and uh, we're going to uh, pick those up right away. We're going to begin in McQuanago, Wisconsin. Dominique, you're on the air. Hello, Jim. I am so glad you have Karen Mueller on. This is so exciting. She is definitely here in our country for such a time as this, and I really, really appreciate her. Um, I wanted to speak to the case that she is working on, the John Zinzheim case, and just let you know that I was appalled that we're not talking about, like, a big corrupt city that did this to him. This is Waukesha County, and our family went and stood at that hospital protesting for his life, and I think it was an Oconomowoc. Hmm. I mean, that is, that's appalling, you know, that, that in a rural area that this kind of NIH protocol could have such a stranglehold in our country, and there's just so many people across the state. And I just wondered if Karen could just speak to the reaction that she got when she was on um, her campaign tour and when she would she would ask two different questions, and the response was really amazing. I was just wondering if she could speak to that. Thank you, Dominique. Yes. <clears throat> uh, when I was out walking or going around the state, uh, any room I spoke in, my first question was, do you know of anybody that you believe was killed in the hospital because of the COVID-19 protocols? <clears throat> and in every room, I would get hands from 30 to 50% of the room. Hmm. Now, that's a stunning number in Wisconsin. The second question is I would ask them um, if they knew somebody who they believed had been killed or injured by the vaccine, the so-called vaccine. And I was getting about the same uh, numbers, 30 to 50% of of a room. And... um, It was like people were so relieved that I was out there talking about it uh, because no politician was talking about it. No politician will talk about it, uh, with the exception of Senator uh, Johnson has had his roundtables. But er everywhere else, there is silence uh, throughout Wisconsin and throughout the country. Uh, This is appalling. Again, United States citizens are being killed by their government through CMS protocols, and it needs to stop. Friends, just a reminder, um, Scott Scherer was with us earlier this year at... uh on Crosstalk January 5th, 2022. And uh, those of you who'd like to go back and hear his story with uh, his daughter, Grace, uh, go to crosstalkamerica.com, and you'll find it on January 5, 2022. Our lines are completely packed. Chris in Hancock, uh, Michigan, you're on the air. Hi, I wanted to thank both of you for what you're doing. And uh, Karen, especially, I'd like to let you know, people will continue to pray for you. More people need to be standing up uh, in in Michigan. I've heard of cases, heard of people, uh, of friends, 
loved ones that are being murdered and 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 you're right, Karen, people don't want to talk about it. it's upsetting, it's disturbing, however it's happening and pretending it's not happening isn't going to help anybody. So continue the good work and mm. be strong and know that we're we're supporting you. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Chris. We've got Holly next calling in. Hi, Holly, you're on the air. Hi, Jim, and hello, Karen. Um, I just wanted to share real quick. I have had the pleasure of getting a lot of wonderful advice from Karen. Um, I teamed up with a couple molecular biologists and a pharmacist a while back, and we were just trying to warn people about what to do in the face of COVID mandates in the workplace and in their schools. And I, I scoured the state trying to find an attorney that would be willing to help us out and make sure that the information we were giving them was legitimate. And Karen was the only one, the only one in the whole state that I could find that would be willing to give that information um, forthright. A lot of attorneys would consider themselves constitutional attorneys but would say, look, I agree with you, but I can't do it on the record. Mm. And so I just... Karen, God bless you. I hope that people realize what a wonderful, incredible human being you are. And we really need to keep praying for you because I realize what, what a burden this has been for you. And just you are you are carrying your cross, sister, and we are just so grateful for you. So God bless you, and thank you, Jim, for having her on. Thank you, Holly, for the call here today. Uh, Marianne Duluth, Minnesota, you're on the air. Yes, I have to say, too, to you, Jim, and to you, Karen, Thank you so much for exposing this. You actually saved my son's life. I'm a mother of a disabled son up here in Duluth who was placed in the hospital for a different medical situation but came down with COVID. I was unable to go see him, and what happened was when I called the nursing staff, I asked him, well, what kind of medications is he on since he was in the COVID unit? Now, mind you, he, was, he had very minor symptoms, headache, maybe a little bit of a runny nose, probably less than flu symptoms that he's had before. Unbeknownst to me, and they knew I was his guardian, they gave him resdesimir. I immediately said, stop it. He had one dose, and uh, the doctor called me up, and he said, why are you not letting me give him resdesimir? And I was respectful, and I said, well, doctor, you should know as well as I do that it damages the kidneys, and why would you do that to my son? And he got real, real mad and belligerent and hung up on me. Hmm. But they're doing it. I can't emphasize enough. When you have a loved one in the hospital, you have to be on it at all times. Thank you for sharing that. Karen, any response? Um, again, those phone calls were going on all over the state. Hmm. Um, the remdesivir, the baricitinib, most people didn't know about the baricitinib. All you have to do is look up the label on it. And it says it will cause blood clots and it will cause an upper respiratory bacterial infection. Why would you give that to a dog, let alone give it to a patient that you believe has COVID-19 pro- or that you believe has uh, COVID pneumonia? Mm-hmm. Um, um, just God bless that woman and her son, and I'm glad he made it through. Thank you for uh, the we call here. So many- We're up against a break. Uh, this is Crosstalk on VCY America, back in just one minute. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. Jesus in Luke 21 said, Look up, your redemption draweth nigh when you see these things happening. In other words, he said, Hey, you want to know what my second coming will look like? What will be going on before I arrive? Well, here's some of them, he says. Well, are we seeing some of these things happen? Wars, rumors of wars, plagues, pestilence? Yep, the Pentagon gives Ukraine the green light for drone strikes inside Russia. That's a headline today. And we'll be even providing some of the weaponry. You think they're pushing us toward World War III, the increasing of war? Now we have a pandemic simulation, once again, reported by the same players that were involved in the pandemic simulations in 2019 before the coronavirus in 2020. Now they're preparing for one that will kill upwards of a billion people, including children. They ran this in October of 2022. They're saying it's coming in 2025. I could go on and on. Plagues, pandemics, and other things the Bible predicted. Look up.
Karen Mueller is our guest here today on Crosstalk, founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty. And uh, she's appearing before the Wisconsin Supreme Court January 17, 2023, a case Alan Gall versus Aurora Healthcare Incorporated. Uh, Karen, just before we go back to the lines here, I know you mentioned you, you're hearing from people all over, not only the state of Wisconsin, but around the country looking for for help and guidance, uh, uh, facing similar situations. It's got to be a very costly effort. It is a very costly effort. Um, I started the Amos Center for Justice two years ago when I saw our rights being trample, trampled on in a number of ways by government entities, and Amos Center needs to grow. Um, it needs uh, growth in its operational expenses so that I can pay more attorneys. Um, to be able to litigate these issues. Um, We're also looking at holding people accountable, and that's going to be an expensive proposition. And uh, to that end, uh, we're in need of funds, uh, and uh, we are setting up a legal offense fund. Every life matters is what we're going to call it. Um, But in the uh, – so I would just ask if your listeners are willing to donate, that would be – uh, very helpful. And uh, again, my website is amoscenterforjustice.org for um, donations. Um, if it's for an intake, it is amoscenter.org. Um, very fine. Uh, we've got, we got just a yeah. few minutes left. Scott is calling in from Oakland, uh, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Hello. I would like to Hi. congratulate Karen on getting a health system just to the Supreme Court because it is such a challenge in the state by the laws to get these uh, health systems even to court. Um, And also I would like to say that there is some private practice um, doctors that I want to, that I do go to, that were using ivermectin, and hydrochlorazine, I believe. No, hydroxychloroquine. Is that what it is? Okay. To treat the COVID, they had many patients coming mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. And also, I wanted to say there's another issue going on here in Wisconsin. It's called uh, blacklisting or red flagging. It's actually been done to me at a doctor do surgery and basically mutilated my ears. Okay, and we're going to go another direction here. We can't go, go down that trail right now. We're sorry to hear that, Scott. Uh, we want to stay focused here on this matter pertaining to COVID and the protocols with it. And uh, there, there are other issues here you may want to follow up with, Karen, as well. But thank you so much for the call. Uh, we've got Dean in Zane, uh, Janesville. You're on the air. Yeah, I have a comment. This has similarities to the Terry Scheibel case where the Parents wanted to take Terry home, and the husband didn't want him to, and this has very much similarities. And thank you, and have a good day. Okay, thank you for that, and uh, certainly protocols followed there, too. Um, Johnny in Iron River, you're on the air. Uh, hi, hi, Jim. Hi, Karen. Uh, thank you so much for the show today. Um, uh, my my father passed away from COVID last December. I'm so sorry. Um, I, I don't think it, it was from COVID. I mean, he... We all got sick, and he went to the hospital. They gave him remdesivir, and he was on a ventilator within a week and died a, uh, a few days after that. Um, same thing with my brother-in-law. Uh, and this was that in Ashland uh, Memorial, Ashland, Wisconsin. I, I, I just want to know, is there – I kind of given up on trying to fight this. Um, is there any kind of time limit uh, or statute of limitation on, on something like that? Not with what I'm looking at. Um, I'm uh, I'm not looking at medical malpractice, um, but there's okay. other things um, that we are looking at. Um, so, so if so, you're looking at medical malpractice, yes, there are time limitations, and you should seek out a medical malpractice attorney to look into that matter. Yeah, we we did, and nobody wanted to help us, and. <laughs> Right. Well, the problem is, is that the issue involves intentional acts, and um, and uh, uh, if you're going to go through medical mail, most attorneys aren't going to take it because there are too many immunities. 
um, right. that the hospitals can throw up and say, we're immune. It was experimental. And sorry about your loss. My. And uh, But we're looking at other avenues. And uh, that is why we are also looking to raise some funds. Johnny, feel free to reach out to uh, the uh, Amos Center for Justice.org. And I know we've uh, interviewed Dr. Elizabeth Lee Valit as well, TruthForHealth.org. They've got a, a, a legal help uh, available there as well, and uh, the, many who are getting engaged in there. But uh, thank you so much for your call, and we are so sorry, so sorry for your loss as well. We're going to squeeze one last call in. Sandy in Dousman, you're on the air. Hi, thank you, Karen, for taking this case. Um, I, too, um, as a nurse working during the COVID-19, know of cases where people were given the remdesivir and the the nib um, under the experimental. Know this, that ivermectin is now listed on the CDC website as approved protocol to treat COVID hmm. after all was said and done. The other point I want to make thousands is of deaths around the country. Yeah. The COVID-19 vaccines are the healthcare facilities are being reimbursed based on how many of us healthcare care workers are being jabbed. So not only do they get money for people that they put on the ventilator, they're 20% for the remdesivir, they also get paid based on how many of us are vaxxed. Wow, Sandy, thank you for the call. Right. Let me just say, uh, Karen, we're down to 30 seconds, so share whatever you want to in this final half minute here. Well, one thing I just wanted to say is, is there also seems to be a targeting of people who are unvaxxed. Uh, that seems to be very pre- predominant in the records of uh, clients that I have. Uh, but on top of that, I would just encourage people um, to talk to their legislators, demand that they do something, demand it. Um, this has got to stop. Whatever state you're in, um, this has got to stop. And Christians need to stand up right now. Churches need to stand up um, because this is this cannot go on. Karen Mueller, our guest here today on Crosstalk, founder and general counsel for Amos Center for Justice and Liberty, the website amoscenterforjustice.org. Karen, thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. And friends, be praying for her as she makes argues uh, here before the Wisconsin Supreme Court on January 17th. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Take Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.